We need to have a critical mass of youth diverse by, from diverse backgrounds joining politics uh, at the top level of hierarchy in countries or at the European level and not being tokenized, meaning not being the unique voice that we call when we are we want to quote a youth or a young woman or a young man or anything in between. Welcome to the Eliamep podcast series. I have the pleasure to host in this podcast Omejin Helifa. She was part of the Tunisian Revolution in January 2011, and she has since contributed to a democratic transition in Tunisia. She's also participating in the third Eliamep ACG Summer Academy, training emerging leaders of the new geopolitical challenges in the Mediterranean. Uh, Ms. Helifa, thank you so much um, for having this discussion uh, about uh, democracy, about Arab Spring, and of course the Tunisian Revolution, which you were a part of, um, if I may, if I may say so. Thank you for having me. Well, um, many times we say in Greece that young people are not interested in politics in the elections. Is that so, do you believe? Or, as you have said, we do not train them to exercise critical thought and to make them conscious of the importance of their participation in society. And then we criticize, the, we criticize them exactly about not doing that, that we have not trained them to do. It's an interesting question because, indeed, only a minority of a minority of youth choose political parties to mobilize uh, for the common good. Um, most youth of the generation from my, what I see in Europe or in Tunisia and other places where there is freedom of speech uh, and critical thinking, um, there is different kinds of mobilization. So that is not true that they are not involved in politics or don't care about the state of the world. They just don't believe and trust in the existing old institutions such as political parties, trade unions, uh, any type of civil society uh, organization that has been existing. Um, and so they are just trying new ways like protests, like online movements. Um, and movements have seen changes like everything about climate, the Fridays for Future, and uh, activities that are outside of the existing system, but were able to put pressure on governments and to change the conversation and the, the debates. I think when I when I when we speak about uh, educate youth education and critical thinking and training, uh, I personally think about education in schools. Um, coming from Tunisia, I was raised uh, in a dictatorship before uh, 2011. I don't think public education has prepared us to um, be have, be critical and have our own voices and challenge uh, whatever is in front of us and involve in politics. And that did not transform when we had the revolution. Reform takes time. Uh, political leaders, leaders who were in power didn't agree on the vision of education. There's a lot of fears about going back um, in, in terms of um, what we are teaching the kids. There was a divide between civic values and Islamic uh, law um, at the time, uh, different political parties fighting for different society projects. So nobody touched education. The dictatorship basically raised followers. 
I think in other democracies, there are also issues for um, uh, in, in terms of education and how much we need to uh, have uh, young people, and I'm talking again about teenagers, like kids and teenagers, know about the challenges of the 21st century. They are educated um, to have critical thinking. They are they are aware of what's happening. Um, every youth, I think, in the world now, uh, when they have a phone, they are globally. Uh, they see what's happening globally. So all of them even if they are not allowed to have free speech in their country, they can think uh, for themselves. I think the most important thing after education is really to have the space to express this thinking. Uh, before freedom of speech comes, obviously, the, uh, the freedom of thinking, allowing yourself to think. Uh, and um, yeah. self-censorship yeah. <laughs> is the biggest problem in dictatorships. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure I answered your question, but um, yes, you did, you did, and and uh, uh, my next question has to do about democracies and uh, if uh, uh, democracy is in danger because uh, even the, in the European uh, Union we see the rise of far right parties; they are gaining again momentum. Populism is on the rise, and do we seem to lose our focus on the freedom so hard gained we watch what is happening in france and i think the problem in france is in is deeper than the actual incident of the death of the young boy by police fire uh, we see polarized societies uh, even in the, in the european union so um do you think that democracy is in danger yes democracy is in danger because uh, democracy is not providing any more um, concrete solutions for the most marginalized. Depending on which country, uh, the most marginalized can have different faces, different backgrounds, different origins, different social classes uh, and economic um, um, and economic class classes as well. Um, so let's say that um, when democracy is not bringing the dividends anymore and has still the challenge of every democracy, which is the balance between security and liberties. And when people start to feel that the state, the government is not for them anymore, it's the, the apparatus, which is the security um, apparatus is um, not respecting human rights. Obviously marginalization with security that's not respecting human rights is the recipe for explosion in any type of society. And I think that the, the difficulty today is that we see democracy as a game, or at least those who believe in democracy, citizens who have been born under democracy, um, see it as something that is has been achieved and cannot be touched. Uh, and it's a basis for society, but it's never the case, democracy is uh, a state that can evolve or can go backwards. And I know it's for a fact, again, as a French Tunisian, um, born in, in, in a dictatorship, raised there, but also lived in France for 10 years and, and earned my nationality there. Um, my French nation nationality makes me have these two views, right? Living under dictatorship, see 
believe that it's going to last forever, having no voice, being afraid of involving in politics because of the consequences of being in jail or in exile or tortured, uh, criticize the regime, and living under the, uh, a democracy where I was also like didn't feel um, that I was part of it, even though I was a French national, newly French national, I still felt um, that maybe I didn't have the right to have a voice. Uh, maybe I'm not representing the majority of society. And I haven't, like I was not born in France. So all of that made me mm, question my my identity and my belonging uh, and my right to express myself in a democracy. So I think more marginalized people have been there for generations of immigrants. Uh, in, in the case of France, even feel worse. Um, they have been, especially in the in Nanterre and all the uh, the neighborhoods where the the riots are happening. Uh, these are ghetto um, neighborhoods, so people see the police only to repress them. Uh, they feel neglected by the state, so for them the state is not social anymore. Um, it's not uh, protecting them anymore. It's only them there to repress them, to surveil them. And this is the biggest issue of democracy, because when it starts to behave as a autocracy in some areas and not in other areas. So this perception that uh, democracy applies for some and not for others, because promise of democracy is equality, right? Uh, so when there is a promise of equality, but in fact, in the facts, there is huge inequality, whether social, economic or even in, in security issues. This is um, the second ingredient to the recipe of explosion, unfortunately. So do you believe that it's also um, a religion thing um, because uh, you were a Muslim, because now the young people uh, that feel that uh, they don't have what they deserve in France and elsewhere is because they are, they are Muslim and um, why do young people become radical? Uh, and I'm, I'm not talking only about religion, but do they become radical because they feel that they do not have a future? Uh, even if in some cases, if they live in democracies, in some cases, if um, they live in other countries that they have a dictatorship, is there a, 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 a common thing between all that and how young people feel and turn radical? I think everyone's identity is defined by the, the, the space, the society where they live. If you are a Muslim in a majority of Christian uh, society, and if you are attacked from or feel threatened because you are a Muslim, of course you will identify more as a Muslim and you will show that more as a Muslim. Uh, but if you are, um, let's say, um, I don't know, from a different race. For example, you're African-American and you live in a, a major in a society where majority is white and you feel threatened because you are uh, you are black. Then you will more show your identity as an African-American, as a black person. So identity can shift um, depending on where you live. So I don't think um, it's a question of uh, identity, of, of being Muslim or being black or being uh, LGBT or being any type of other minority that uh, we can identify. 
I think it's a question of feeling of belonging. So do these minorities minorities feel that they are that they belong in their societies? Do they feel that they're equal to the majority that live in the society? Equal treatment, equal education, equal access to public health, to housing, to any promise of a democratic society, right? Again, like the question of what are the values that are promised under the um, sorry under under the democracies and how they are applied in reality for the the minorities, and 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 when we think actually um, about political leadership, because it's at the end of the day, it's really about the policies that are made and how they are implemented under the supervision of uh, and the decisions of political leaders. Um, today, there is a question in democracies where um, do they really represent the majority? When you start adding, uh, for example, the uh, different minorities that I was thinking about uh, in terms of race, in terms of origin, in terms of social class, in terms of gender, you realize that they become the majority, right? Adding them together, major the majority is not represented in, in in terms of political leadership. So of course there is a difference between uh, what people um, and especially the most marginalized and feel excluded want and what the political leadership um, implements and decides. When there is this gap, uh, the the bigger the gap, the less trust there is. And the 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 more <laughs> issues can happen, uh, and uh, violence can spark. But I mean, the more the promise, one of the other promises of democracy is that you can peacefully protest, and that it has an effect. That you can vote, and it has an effect. But it seems that this is not happening anymore, and so that's that's also very problematic. And the challenge of the political leadership. So um, you have fought many years for democracy in Tunisia. And do you believe that it is a myth that Arab countries, or to speak more generally, Muslim countries cannot have liberal democracies? Um, because there seem to be that kind of myth that uh, the West, uh, European Union, United States, they are trying to enforce um, a political system that maybe does not belong um in this part of the world i don't know why um this, the, the the two questions about muslim identity actually i don't really see any relation between the uh the freedom of uh or the rights of someone to choose their religion and their will and or need and need to have a dignified uh, life i think when we th- when we think about human beings before any type of uh, communitarism, uh, whether it's because of their race or origin or, again, religion, uh, we see that everyone in the, on this planet wants to have a peaceful, dignified life, uh, have uh, a roof over their head, uh, money in their pocket, food on their table, uh, access to health, access to public transportation, and etc. So these demands that were also the demands of Tunisian people uh, in the, the protests of the Tunisian revolution that we call um, the revolution of freedom and dignity 
were jobs, freedom, and dignity. Indeed. So when you talk, think about uh, jobs, it's about economic prosperity. When you talk about freedom, it's political freedom, and it's uh, personal freedoms as well, and dignity on top of everything else, which is the basis for any human being to, 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 to be happy at the end of the day and to feel that they are belonging to a society that's not oppressing them or excluding them for any type of reason. So no, it's not related to religion. It's uh, it's about human beings who want to be free. And in 2011, it was the first time of our history in the region, in Tunisia and in the region, that we were able to express ourselves. To uh, in, in, in the case of Tunisia, we were for 23 years under Ben Ali dictatorship. Then before that, we were about 30 years under under Bourguiba um, president, who was the father of Tunisians, uh, independent and modern Tunisia, but also an autocrat. And before that, we were colonized by the French. And before that, we were under the, in the Ottoman Empire. So this means that for generations, everyone in Tunisia didn't feel as a citizen. They were subjects. Uh, they were told what to do, what was decided, like th their daily life was decided elsewhere by someone else who did not have maybe their best interest at heart. So 2011 was really about um, getting out of the system, saying enough is enough. And even if, even if it's going to be messy, we want our rights to have jobs and freedom and dignity. What do you believe are the biggest challenges for young people today? They seem to have a lot, that uh, they seem to live in prosperous societies, but um, they, they find themselves more times at a loss. What do you think are the biggest challenges for them in the future? Um, so if we talk about youth in prosperous societies, um which is different news from <laughs> society uh societies that are mm, yeah poor <laughs> yes <laughs> of course youth in prosperous society i don't think we can also identify them as a homogeneous group there are students and people who are not in training people who are not in any kind of education people who are unemployed um and people who are already working, youth who are already working. So it's really different kinds. And we have women youth, men youth, youth who live in rural areas, cities. You you understand where I'm, where I'm going. Basically, it's difficult to have a youth policy um, or think about uh, the need for youth to have a, a common vision. Because I think everyone's experience and youth in particular uh, that they have still a short um, lived experience they they want uh, they want the best for for themselves but the more and more in prosperous society and that's given me a lot of hope is they have a vision a new vision for the world uh, a new vision for a more globalized world uh, a vision for uh, a world that like and, and that preserves the planet uh, where people are uh, taken into consideration where they are not uh, from the outside of the system screaming that it, we're uh, basically deciding for them uh, for the future, but want to be and pushing to be part of the conversation and to shift the conversation. Um, so I think the most important for me today is to see in more youth leaders 
embracing politics, more political parties who are opening their doors wide open for diversified voices from youth. They have a new vision. If I think only about North Africa and the Middle East, uh, 55% of the population of the demographic are youth. Uh, not all countries are prosperous in the region, uh, or far from that, actually. But still, the leadership is the same. It's it's not listening to youth. Uh, there are no democratic ways to um, to have them involved. At least in prosperous uh, countries, they have means. Um, and I, I today. Uh, even if we like we like it or not, political leaders decide for the faith uh, of youth. So we need to have a critical mass of youth, diverse by, from diverse backgrounds, joining politics uh, at the top level of hierarchy in countries or at the European level, and not being tokenized, meaning not being the unique voice that we call when we are we want to quote a youth or a young woman or a young man or anything in between um, when we want um, to look good, but actually have them really uh, be the voice of the cause that they are defending and really respect it and taken into consideration and have the power to shift the conversation. That's my hope for you. Well, now I, I, I want us to, to take you in another topic which has to do about um, terrorist attacks, about attacks on uh, our safety. And have you seen a change in that? I mean, um, there were massive attacks from organizations, from Islamist organizations, from jihadists. And now we see more and more that the attacks are coming from lone actors. Um, do you have an explanation for that? Has that to do... Uh, also with uh, our uh, democracies and how they work, that people that come from us are the ones that, that are becoming uh, terrorists and not uh, in the way that we were used to after 9-11. Um, I, I would like to ask you about the context of uh, and, and the time that you're referring to. Well, um, I, I, we saw what happened in, in this park in France with uh, the man from Syria and the knife that he knifed. And so I'm, I'm trying to think if all this has something to do with the changes in our societies also. And the war, there was this war that began with Al-Qaeda, but maybe all this has changed now. It's under a, a, a completely different context. Yeah, I don't know the case you're referring to, uh, but um, what I can say about at least the, the Tunisian context is that um, the revolution that um, had so many promises did not fulfill these promises. So peaceful protests uh, basically uh, have shown that they don't uh, translate into a change of life and a better living. So a minority and only a minority of people and youth uh, can um, be can see or start to see violence as a way to change things and to attack the system that is not uh, answering their um, answering their needs and respecting them and including them. So for me, anyone who feels marginalized and disrespected and with no ways no ways of uh, getting their rights 
from the system can be uh, easily indoctrinated, can be easily uh, used by any terrorist organization or crime organization or uh, any type of uh, organization that has a political objective of um, destroying the system in place. So depending on the context, it could be um, um, a terrorist attack in, in, in Paris, or it can be a gang attack in one of the neighborhoods in the US. It can be also white supremacist. If I take the example of the US, um, for decades now, if we take the figures, white supremacists have been uh, the biggest threat to um, American uh, um, society and stability. Um, but despite that, this um, fact, we only hear about um, terrorist jihadist attacks, which are real, a real threat. But in terms of numbers, uh, they started more recently and they were um, attacks that uh, that uh, has not have not been <laughs> like uh, done by a movement. Uh, of people who have been there and 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 have the clear objective to to wipe out um, diversity from from society. Um, so I think every context is is difficult. Um, in 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 if we think about threats to security, every context the context is also different. If um, uh, from the the type of um, marginalization or uh, issues that they have with um, people who are feel feel excluded. Um, I don't think that security is a solution. For years uh, and decades, we have used military solutions, surveillance, uh, police to follow um, potential terrorists or terrorists, which is good to stop uh, terrorist attack. Um, which is important to stop crime organizations or terrorist groups, but does not prevent violent extremism. So for me, it goes back again to the promise of democracies to include the most marginalized, to have equality in treatment, equality in freedoms and rights. Um, and then when we don't have this feeling of belonging, feeling of inclusion and feeling of equal rights, then there is a breach for anyone to use these marginalized voices to any type of uh, purpose to destroy or attack the system in place. Well, you mentioned, and that is my last question to you, you mentioned it in the beginning, you mentioned social media as the new way of, uh, of, of communicating, of being involved in politics. Do you find their role beneficiary for democracy or as all thinks it has its its good size and its bad size and you have to to be careful how to use it um i'm not sure it's new uh, it started in 2011 in tunisia where uh, we used facebook um for um to share the videos of the police uh, violence and killings so the 12 years um young generations have been born uh, with this use of uh, social networks. So for them, it has always been the case that um, this is a way to mobilize, to share um, uh, videos, text, uh, images, and anything uh, about 
political opinions or opinions in general. Um, it's it's a tool. At the end of the day, you can use it um, the way you want. The issues is that um, it's not neutral the way you use it, you, um, especially with all the money that is being put in place for mis misinformation, disinformation, uh, fake news and propaganda, which, and it's, it, the, the danger lies here when we don't have mechanisms of uh, protection that reach everyone, protect everyone from these type of um, intrusions, let's say, that can uh, really shake someone's beliefs, uh, despite the fact that uh, they have different realities and they have uh, trusted media, etc., what reaches them through the social media becomes more of a reality to them than what they hear everywhere else. Um, so social media is very important because this is how youth communicate. But it's it's a huge place for um, threats to the type of information that is exchanged. Uh, if we don't put the regulation, if the platforms themselves that are not public but they are private, are making sure that we have uh, fact checking that uh, there are no companies using the data to influence elections, and this is such a challenge. This is such a challenge today because we're not there yet and democracies are being undermined by uh, the use of social media uh, to influence um, elections. Mrs. Khalifa, thank you so much for this discussion. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Odin. Thank you so much for um, this conversation. It was uh, good to have it with you. This was another Eliamep podcast with Odin Linardatu. Recording, editing and sound editing by Petros Karpathiou. Follow us on the Eliamep channels on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and elsewhere.